0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Just mental health comedy <laughs> shout-outs, okay? If you're unhappy and you know it, clap your hands. That's the first thing I want to invite you to do. If you're masking your feelings, welcome. If COVID is allowing you to mask your feelings in a, in a better way, welcome. Uh, if your self-esteem is so low, you can't allow yourself Amazon Prime Rewards, Welcome. <laughs> Uh, If you've made a beating yourself up playlist on Spotify, welcome to you. If you you believe in magic, but you can't believe it's not butter, welcome. (laughs) And if you were the kid who played pin the blame on the donkey, welcome to you. (laughs) a mental health comedy? What is it? It's a show, it's a genre, it's a, it's a movement, it's a fashion statement. Um, my name is uh, Ed Krasnick. Along with me, the great Jennifer Kalari is here. And Jennifer is a child and family therapist. She has a wonderful organization called connectedparenting.com where she teaches all kinds of mental health skills um, and all kinds of resilience skills and support for people emotionally, their families, mental health. Is a, it's a topic, but it's really a practice. The problem with it is that it's not a practice yet. There's not a lot of can you actually practice mental health? What is it? What is emotional fitness? We know what physical fitness is. We don't know we don't know how our brains work. So that's that's kind of a problem. Uh, it's and a great opportunity. So Jennifer helps us with rewiring our brains and figuring out how they actually how how things actually work inside of us. So, you know, this is what we talk about on the show. We try to do it a little bit comedically. On today's show, uh, we have two great guests, two friends who are wonderful people and very accomplished people, too, who happen to be living um, outside of London right now. Um, Their story is amazing about how they met. And it's it's Amber Tozer and Tim Arthur. They're going to join us in just a minute part of the problem of what's happening with racism. This is part of the problem. Racism has a mental health component to it that people mm-hmm. don't often talk about. Um, hatred starts inside. That's true. It's an inside job. So yes. uh, what do you think about that, Jennifer? And, and you're somebody, I mean, you work with all these people. Sure. And when, they, when they say they can't stand themselves, when they say mm-hmm. that they, they really don't like themselves, what, what's, what do you do?
2: Well, it's interesting, and I I work with little kids all the way up to adults. And one of the things that goes along with anxiety and, uh, you know, struggling with anxiety and depression is often a a real sense of self loathing. So the hardest part about just sort of saying, oh, you have to be nice to yourself, you got to be kind to yourself, if you don't know how to do that, and you don't even know you're not, you know, you're not even aware of how nasty you, you are being to yourself, that's a really big problem. And to go from, you know, really being in this place of not liking yourself to suddenly liking yourself, that's a very big jump. That's way too big a jump. There's, there's no way you can do that. So it has to be done in, in kind of little steps. And I think, Ed, you're right. The first step is to just acknowledge it, right? To just acknowledge that you're doing this. Some of us think in these patterns, we're not even aware of who's doing the thinking, Never mind what we're saying. Right, and, and a lot of the times when we, we hate ourselves, it's almost, it sounds crazy, but it's kind of self-protective. Prote- like if I hate myself so much and I'm so mean to myself, then no one's going to disappoint me. No one can hurt me because there's nothing you're going to say to me that I haven't already said to myself and that I'm not saying to myself on a daily basis. So there's this weird kind of self-protective thing. Um, and it's like this little voice in your head where if I am just, if I'm lying on the ground, I can't fall down any further, right? So when you try to get up, your brain is going to say, your anxiety is going to say, what are you getting up for? You have no business getting up. You're not a good person. You're not a nice person. Lie back down, right? So you're, you end up fighting against yourself um, in some really complex ways. And we're not aware of this.
1: Is there a simple thing, a very simple one before, I, uh, before we talk to Tim and Amber, that, that's something that people can can practice or something that they can maybe even think about?
2: Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. One, and it goes along with what you were just saying, that when you you have this thought, I'm an idiot, I hate myself, why would I do that, I am so stupid, or whatever goes on in our heads. And sometimes it gets way uglier and deeper than that for people. They literally beat themselves up internally in their head. Um, just sort of noticing and observing that you've just thought that and actually put it in a little bubble. You know when people are blowing bubbles and the bubbles just kind of drift off into the wind? Just kind of put that thought about yourself in the bubble no judgment. No, look at me being horrible to myself. Just like, oh, interesting, huh? There I go doing it again. Oh, there's that pattern again. Isn't that fascinating? I just did it again without without judgment. Just just kind of noticing that it's there. And then the other is the idea of a bank account, which we'll we'll come back to probably in in over this conversation. But if you have a bank account and and it's like I don't know minus minus twenty thousand dollars, and you put fifty dollars in. It's, what does that do for me? That doesn't do anything. It doesn't help me, right? And so you kind of have to think about how you feel about yourself like a bank account. So in the beginning, if you try to either be neutral about yourself or be kind to yourself, you're not going to notice that for a very, very long time, right? So you just kind of get in the habit of just noting... You know, having either a neutral thought or a kind thought about yourself, just something where you've just caught yourself, you've just congratulated yourself. Well, that was nice of me opening that door for that person. I didn't have to do that, but I did it, right? Just sort of noticing and putting these little bank deposits in. And you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it until you're at zero, right? And then you can start to be in the positive. But you're, you're not going to switch. You're not going to be able to suddenly make a decision. I'm going to be nice to myself. Like, there's no way your anxiety is going to let you do that because it's going to say, if you do that, you're going to get disappointed. People are going to hurt you. People are going to let you down. People are going to show you how really not okay you are. So you might as well just lie down and stay there. So the bank account's a great way to kind of think about it.
1: You've got to watch some of the new shows that are coming up around Corona, which is America's Got Pandemic Talent and Flip This Country is one of my favorite <laughs> shows. Mental health comedy with Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick. And right now, two dear friends who are a world away but still very close. Um, emotionally, and that is Amber Tozer and Tim Arthur. They are—they happen to be married, but they weren't always married. Um, but they—Amber is somebody that I became aware of many years ago um, through an animated short that she did. But she is the author of *Sober Stick Figure*, which is an incredible book available on Amazon and everywhere else. Which is—which is a very creative, very funny, very poignant. Uh, memoir about her battle with alcoholism um as a younger person and and someone who's recovering and and someone who does a lot of education about this and speaks to people about it but she did it in this really interesting creative book called sober stick figure where she drew stick figures uh, accompanying her her life experiences it is tremendous um, she's a writer She's an author, she's a creator, and uh, she's here today. So, Amber, welcome to you. Hi, Ed, uh, thank you. And and a pleasure, a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I, uh, I, I also want to welcome a gentleman that you met when you were on a book tour, and you happened to be on his radio show, the BBC. This man is a very humble guy because he's a really accomplished uh, person as an executive working at Virgin, um, as a broadcaster working at the BBC, as the global CEO of Time Out, as a, as a journalist, as a writer, um, and a public speaker who talks about the change in, in work culture, changing work cultures. And that's Tim Arthur. Tim, you're also there. Tell people briefly how you met and, and how it's going and what, what, how, how you guys have learned to relate through this, uh, this quarantining period
3: um i met tim like you said on his uh bbc radio show he had a sunday morning radio show and he was the last interview i had of a a two-week book tour so i did a few um places in the states and then i did a quick little uh media tour in london and i was on his radio show and it was i don't know it was a like what 12 minute chat
0: yeah not long Yeah. It's just strange because our first first meeting wasn't like a date or anything. It was recorded on air. Yeah. It's it's sort of strange. Um,
3: Yeah. So our first, yeah, it was live in London and we got along great, but I was sort of in a hurry because I had to do, I had to leave for the airport right after, but it was great. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite interviews. And, um, and I gave him a hug afterwards. I was like, I'm gonna give you a hug. I'm a hugger, which I'm really not, but I really, really, really liked him. But I was on my way to um, where was I going? Switzerland. Switzerland. So I was just like, Okay, nice to meet you. Nice cute man. Bye. But then we started texting a little bit. What did you you sent me, what'd you do?
0: I sent you a picture of a lake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I don't know what I was thinking at the time. Luckily, Amber, Amber, <laughs> I thought Amber was totally out of my league. So so it just meant that I could just be myself. I wasn't trying to impress her because I thought there was no chance either that I would see her again because she lived in Los Angeles or that I would ever stand a chance. So I was probably my best self. And by that, I mean just me. I wasn't you know, overly trying to do anything other than just have a new friend. Um, and for some reason, I thought it was suitable to send her a picture of this lady. I live near a really pretty lake. So I sent her a picture of that, to which she replied by sending me a picture of her friend's dog. And then that was it really, we were.
3: Yeah, and then you know, he gave me a lift to the airport when I went back to London, then he flew to the States and our first proper date ended up being a six day road trip um, on the Northern coast of California, pretty much, yeah. So, you know how it goes. And then I, six months later we were married and I moved to England and it's been a crazy ride ever since
1: well this is amazing i mean this is this if this this is be would be the impetus for a new dating service which is basically basically send a picture of a lake and then a dog and then you yeah and then, you, then you get connected and you live together happily now now this it is amazing well but now you're married COVID happens you're living in a different country you're both there um how is it that you like what do you what do you think of the strengths like how how are you able to relate to each other in a way where you don't go crazy and i'm sure sometimes you do go crazy
0: Yeah i think it's been i think it's been a real mixture of emotions which i think it's been like for a lot of people i think you you sort of have an initial sort of panic of of having your sort of freedom taken away and suddenly all those things that you take for granted is being really easy that you could just go out and pop out and do. And even within a relationship, which just gives you a break from the other person, which just allows you to you know, be your full self, suddenly gets taken away and, it, and you're sort of imprisoned. Um, there's sort of initial panic. Then there's sort of these moments where you start of just accepting it and actually you go, well, there's nothing I can do, so I might as well just live for the moment and I'll live in that day and be very present. And actually that can be, oddly, with the sort of devastation and horror that's going on, can have real moments of bliss almost if you can really do that. But then interestingly for me particularly, I think maybe that's where we're different. For me, a lot of anxiety has come back now. I've started to future project a bit partly because of economic things. You know, I'm suddenly going like, oh, what am I going to do after this? And what's the world going to look like after this? And I'm trying to kind of go back into that present state, but I'm finding that increasingly difficult. Um, And also I don't kind of have the, I think one of the differences i don't want to speak for you but but one of, the, one of the differences i think amber has become very involved with aa her support group through aa and is doing something there i think she helps organize groups and um is a secretary for a few meetings and i think that gives her a real sense of purpose and he's she's actually doing something and actually i don't i don't have that so that's so there's a sort of difference there for me i feel now a little bit like i'm freewheeling and feel the need to ground myself a bit in some kind of essence of right well where are we and what we're gonna be like but which is a bit like trying to capture sand in your hand it just sort of disappears because nobody knows what's gonna happen nobody knows how these things are gonna turn out um, so, yeah. so I think that's that's been my personal
1: journey of it anyway and amber how about you well I
3: mean first of all I, I we're pretty lucky. So I just want to say that we feel very lucky to be in the position where we are, you know, we're in a safe town. We're in a decent sized house to where we have space. So we try, you know, I mean, I do at least I try to like, remember that. Cause, um, our, and I'm also thankful that, cause we've been married for three and a half years and we didn't know each other when we got married. It was crazy. So for the first two years, we sort of had an interesting, intense, like our relationship was on fast forward with a magnifying glass on it. And I'm happy this is happening now because we finally reached a place to where it's not so intense and confusing and who are you? And, and, I, and I went through culture shock and it was just an insane time. So I'm thankful that Tim and I are in a decent place to be in quarantine together. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I have moments of pure acceptance and actually this is sort of nice, a good opportunity to slow down. There's no pressure to hustle, but also there are times when I feel like I'm going crazy, you know, I'm like, I, cause I'm a go, go, go. I'm very social. Um, I need stimulation and, um, So I've had to sort of manage that, but yeah, being in recovery and has helped so much. Like, I feel like I'm practicing the tools I used in recovery more than ever and applying it to just getting through the day, but, but we're, we're okay.
1: Yeah. Jennifer, I, let me just ask you, and, and I'm throwing this out to everybody. Why is AA the only organization in the world that employs sponsorship? why don't people in general just have sponsors? I think everyone needs a sponsor. And, and it is the only organization that, that holistically accepts this idea that you don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And, I, and to me, it's like, how do we do this? How do we set up, like, what is, what is it like to have an emotional sponsor? Jennifer. Jennifer.
2: Well, right away, I'm struck with this, and that and a lot of the the newer information that we have and the research that's coming out on addiction of any kind is the antidote to addiction is connection. it always was, and it always will be right so the more you have connection and support and uh, love and accountability to another human being, that connection is is half the battle right so and and that's true with um any addiction that you face. And, and, and in my work, that's why, you know, helping couples and families and parents and kids just understand that that nurturing and taking care of that connection, we are social beings. We, we're all here having this conversation today because somebody loved us enough to take care of us and change our diapers and feed us. And like we, when we're okay with our people, we're good. And we're not, when we're not okay with our people, we hurt. And we suffer and we struggle and we end up in a place of loneliness and fear. And then we try to drown that out in whatever ways that we can, swallowing something, drinking something, buying something, right? So I think that's the answer. It's connection.
1: Well, now I'm going to flip it flip it upside down and I'm going to bring up something. And I hope if this is not okay with you guys to talk about, you you let me know and that's fine. But I found it absolutely fascinating and I think it's very funny at the same time. And that is there is an actual condition where people are very – sensitive to how loud someone chews. And Amber, I'm gonna let you take it from here.
3: Yeah, it's, I just discovered this, um, that there's a term for it, because I was at a Starbucks and there was this man sitting next to me eating a sandwich and I wanted to kill him. And I knew that I would go to prison and I did not care. And I knew it was my problem because he wasn't a disgusting eater. And I'm always, I'm always, I feel emotionally attacked when I can hear anybody chewing or tapping or making noises. So I Googled it and it's called misophonia. And there's a whole world out there of people who have this condition to where if you can hear chewing or certain sounds, whatever your trigger is you fill with rage and it's 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 cr- it's crazy but it's a just a a response to a certain kind of sound so unfortunately tim <laughs> what do you how, how what's it like when when i chewing around me <laughs>
0: well it's just it's got <laughs> <quite laughs> to the point where it's becoming like a pavlovian response now that before i can eat i have to put music on so I sort of reach out for the stereo, turn it on, and then feel like I'm allowed then to eat. And if I if I forget occasionally, I just see Amber go into her office and put music on. <laughs> and but it's I mean it's a weird one because I've now I've had to sort of accept it as a condition because when it first started coming up, it didn't really come up very much in the first couple of well, year but I didn't really notice it. Um, but when it did come up, it was difficult not to take it personally. It was difficult not to go. Well, am I just that gross <laughs> when I eat that you that we have to drown that out with music, um, but uh, but now I've just sort of accepted that's that's what it is. But I think I mean, but I think Amber has an, an auditory, a very distinct auditory mechanism. She she responds to ASMR as well. Yeah. I think there's something around her where where sound can either bliss her out or absolutely. Mm-hmm roast her out and we've been on trains as well where somebody will eat near and I won't even it won't even have occurred to me that somebody else was eating and you can see just, Amber just gets emotional she's just you know she'll look at me and goes I'm just getting emotional I can't bear this can we move um so it's it's just a, it's one of those weird quirks you just have to go okay that's how I have to eat now so have you
2: guys heard of misophonia? Have you heard of it? Yes. I have lots of clients who struggle with this and I've been with kids where it's emerging. Like it starts with just their mom or with one particular sibling. It's it's um What is it? What's going on in our brain? So it's a form of anxiety, right? And it usually okay. happens with people who are called HSP, so highly sensitive people. Oh who are really okay. sensitive yep, to sound. Um it smells, tastes, uh, frequencies of any kind, um, and they're they're usually very empathic and very sensitive, but get completely and utterly overwhelmed by by frequency, by information. Um, sometimes the brain will funnel it and organize it into one particular thing, so it doesn't get completely <laughs> overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon for it to be, you know, showing up in one area. Um, you- and, yeah.
3: Nope. Do you know why it's rage
2: though? Why is rage the first? Well, I can thing? tell you exactly. I can tell you exactly why. So anxiety. So the 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 limbic system. Because so you have to understand the brain here. So the frontal lobe's job is to organize, inhibit, prioritize, motivate, and take perspective. That's the frontal lobe's job, and, it, and you know it's pretty good at it. And then there's the limbic system's job. That job is to save your life. And it doesn't care if it's someone chewing on a train or a saber-toothed tiger that's chasing you down the street. It has decided that that is gonna kill you. That is dangerous. It is life-threatening. And it will override the frontal lobe. So the part of the brain that goes, this is ridiculous, I'm on a train, it's fine. He's eating his sandwich, it's okay, I can look away. That part of the brain goes offline. You don't have access to that part of your brain. So the, the limbic brain is running the show.
1: It is time, once again, for the Olympic Games, the o Games. And what this is, is we work on the limbic system. The limbic system is where, in your brain, all of the fight, flight, or freeze reactivity is. And so Jennifer's always got some great tips, some great skills, some great things that we can practice. So welcome to the Olympic Games.
2: What happens if you're standing in front of something that you think is going to pounce on you and kill you, do you look away and suddenly look at your phone? Of course not. You stare at that thing and you're ready to run in whichever direction you need to run. Right? So, so your frontal lobe is literally offline like a computer. It's gone. And your primitive primal fight or flight's um, emergency response is lit up. And this is why it's so difficult. This is why you can't talk yourself out of it. It's not that simple. It would literally be like somebody, I don't know, let's say you're in a building and it's on fire and everybody's run out and you're you know, stuck behind the door and you can't get it open. And the security guards on the other side going, you know, it takes some breaths. Let's take (laughs) a big breath. Let's just be present with where you are. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Are we gonna be bashing the door down to get out? Right. So when it when is a full fight or flight fear response, um, it's really difficult. And what ends up happening is the brain is like sensitive to programming. So every time you've gotten annoyed by somebody chewing and they've stopped chewing, or it's gone away somehow, or your anger has somehow mitigated the situation, your brain goes, oh thank God I am still here. I am still alive. I need to do that next time. And you know what? Just to be safe, I'm going to be even more nasty next time, or I'm going to be more annoyed next time, or I'm going to be more scared next time. Because that's what the brain does, right? It continuously gathers space. Anxiety just keeps uh, collecting territory until you don't recognize yourself. That part of your brain that can't stand chewing, it's not the enemy. It loves you. It absolutely loves you and it thinks it's saved your life a thousand times over. Okay. So it's not going anywhere. It's like, she needs me. If I start being okay with people chewing, I'll be annihilated. So I'm not going to let that happen. The other thing that happens to that part of your brain is it makes you very suspicious of any strategies. You don't want to learn any strategies. You want you don't want to do anything that's going to make that feeling go away because your brain thinks if it goes away, you're going to die. Whatever kind of anxiety you're experiencing. If it's gotten to the point where it's really taken over, you really it's it's really important to get like support and get help. There's there's CBT, there's uh, medication, there's lots of different things you can be doing. It's really running your life. It, if it's what it's called ego dystonic, like you just don't want to be like this anymore, but your brain won't let you stop. It's really important to get help. It's okay. It's the it, the brain is just it's a beast. Anxiety is a Beast, and it likes to be fed. And the more you feed it, the bigger it gets. And so, willpower, which is this is ridiculous. I'm going to sit down at this dinner. I'm not, I'm not going to be bothered by it this time. I'm just, like, I'm sure you tried that eight gazillion thousand times, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's bigger than that. So, so if we if we kind of go back. So, having said that, people who are struggling with this, you're not crazy. It's a real thing. It's a it's a really hard thing to control and manage. Um, and if you need to get some help, get some help. Um, just in, in terms of what we're talking about today, there are things that you can start to do, but it goes back to the bank account idea, right? You, you have to keep making deposits over and over and over again. It's really about kind of staking territory, claiming territory back, having little tiny wins against this thing. So we, and we've talked about this in another um, episode, but it's re- it really comes up here. Um, anxiety gets a bad rap. We see it as this negative, awful thing. It isn't, it's a loving thing. It wants to save you. It thinks it's doing a fantastic job, which is why when I'm working with people, particularly kids, I want you to think of your anxiety as a dog, like a big goofy dog that loves you so much. And it's trying to do the best job and be the best like guardian of you. And at first it just barks at scary looking people outside. And then it's like, you know what? People are suspect. I- I'm going to bark at everyone. And then it's like, you know what? I'm going to bark at people inside the house too. You know, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to lie. I'm going to sit on her chest. I'm going to lick her whole face. I'm never going to let her get up and my person is going to be just fine. So yeah, you might be safe, but you've got an 85 pound dog on your chest and you can't do anything. So, and when you say to people, especially kids, I want to get rid of your anxiety, your anxiety goes through the roof. It's like, are you kidding me? You can't get rid of me. You need me. Are you nuts? I'm not taking that pill. I'm not doing that strategy. I'm not going to see that person. Um, It really becomes quite an entity. So especially when I work with kids and teens, I'll teach them, we don't want to get rid of your anxiety. We don't get rid of the dog. We love the dog we just want the dog to be trained. We just want the dog to lie in his dog bed and only come out when you need him. Like when someone actually is chasing you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. And that's, that's hard. That's hard to do. And people who are highly sensitive member, which you would be, and that's why you're super creative. And that's why you see all these connections And your brain is like this amazing thing, but it can also turn on you with the same intensity, the same brilliance that went into your books and, how, and, and what you do in life, it can, there's a shadow of that. And that shadow is tough to control it, and it's proportionate to your creativity, right? And your intelligence, which is tough because it means having a brain like this is no gift. It can be, it can be a great gift, but it can be absolutely a nightmare. And it can, it can um, turn on, on you in ways that you don't want it to. So, part of what's really important is to see where. So, we don't want to wake up the dog. So, what I would suggest to you is to find little things where you can claim a tiny bit of territory back, and the dog doesn't wake up, right? And then, if you wake, if you do too much, then the dog's eyes going to open. It's going to, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're trying to get rid of this? I don't like it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you could even start literally with just. It depends how anxious you are about this. You could even start with just imagining someone eating. So Tim, you love him. So imagine Tim eating Mm -hmm. and then see if you can regulate your anxiety that way. And we can talk about some tools to do that, but some breathing that you can, can you you imagine yourself in another place? Is there, can you neural hijack on something else that some other good moment in your life that you can now attach to that situation? Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: even right now, if you think about it, does it bother you or is it only when it's happening? Yeah. I'm trying to think about it and it doesn't really
3: bother me. Because I can't because there's no sound, perfect, so perfect. I'm trying to imagine I'm hearing the sound, okay, so um, this is where
2: you start because the dog yeah. won't wake up here, right you start with imagining him sitting down, getting his little sandwich out, right, sitting at the table, which I'm sure in the real world world you already start getting nervous, he hasn't even taken a bite, right so. <laughs> he, he grab
3: he'll grab like a bag of chips, and i and my heart starts beating
2: fast um. <laughs> He right. opens up the fridge and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, and that's it. That's what anxiety does. It's on alert. Is this because it, it thinks it's something that's going to kill you. So anytime there's an approximation of that, he, your, your anxiety is going to light up. The alarm is going to start going off, but I got to tell you like p- potato chips that can get people going who don't have this. Okay. That's <laughs> probably the most annoying thing that anyone can be chewing. Okay. So <laughs> Um, and, and I actually talk about with couples when they're in a, in a really bad state together, when they're kind of fighting and they're in a really negative place, I'll call that the potato chip phase because that's when you want to rip the bag of potato chips out of their hands, right? Like, so potato chips, I, you know, I want to give you some space there because potato chips are hard, but, but so what you'll try to do then is you'll try to imagine Tim eating maybe not potato chips, but something else and imagine yourself going, huh. And really find the emotion here and really give it detail. The the limbic system, here's a tip, is so dumb. It's really dumb. Like it can't tell the difference between you imagining something and it really happening. So if you give a lot of detail, like hear the sound of the fork going on the table and hear the chair being scooched in and like make it as real as you can. And then imagine yourself sitting there going, huh, this is crazy. It's actually really not bothering me. I feel so freeing. It's wonderful. I'm really pleased with this. So um, add the emotion to it Mm -hmm. and the detail to it and just do that for a little while. Just do that. Just start with imagining it and start building some neural pathways there. And then you can start adding that to real life. Like maybe you'll just literally sit at the table with Tim while he's getting his food and then you leave. Right. And stay as calm as you can while that's happening. And the whole time you're hooking it back to that really pleasant, um, either either the imaginary visualization that you've already done, or imagine something really pleasant. I don't know, chubby babies, or a great memory, or just something else that you can connect to that situation, then quietly. Don't run away, because anytime you run away, your anxiety wins. Okay, If you okay. run away, I, I gotta go, I can't take this. this. Every time you do that, you've fed the beast.
1: So is there breathing? Is there pausing? Is there, you know, that drop the tongue, I think, that they would like. We talked about it before, but that's maybe something you can even start with. Yeah.
2: So you drop your tongue. You relax your tongue in the bottom of your teeth. As soon as you do that, as soon as your tongue just kind of goes soft on your teeth, your stomach lets go. Your stomach relaxes. What happens when you're under threat is all of your core muscles tighten up to protect all of your vital organs. So we immediately tense up, and that's a signal to the brain. Oh, boy, here we go. That thing's coming back right? And then you start breathing fast and then you're on high alert. And then what happens is we start to focus on visuals and also sounds because the parasympathetic nervous system gets lit up. It's looking for, you know, a snake that you just heard rattling in the woods and you're looking everywhere for it. Right? So, mm-hmm. so that's why you get hypersensitive to, um, to sight and to sound and to, uh, the, you know, the chewing itself. Cause your brain thinks that's a rattlesnake, right? That's coming to get you. So you drop your tongue you change your breathing, you, you stay you know, as calm as you can in that moment. And then you gently say, good, I did a good job there. I'm leaving. Right? And then you just sort of gently see if you can expand that each time. And then here's a trick for anyone who's super anxious. Anytime you've had um, a win where you're like, oh my God, he took two bites and I didn't want to kill him. This is great. I'm doing great. Anytime that happens, your anxiety is going to wake up. The dog's going to wake up and go, what do you think you're doing? It's going to grab you. And pull you right back down. So whenever you've had a moment where you've had a little bit of success, be ready. Cause the next day you're gonna be, you're gonna really struggle. You're gonna have a hard time as soon as he gets the fork.
1: Now right? can you can, can yeah. you work the same way, Jennifer, through this or is it too intense already? But can you question yourself? Can you actually say, you know, will this kill me?
2: Yes, you can you can definitely do that in this situation. It's hard cuz there's such a program when it's something very specific like that. It's like a program that runs on its own. Doesn't it feel like that Amber? Like it's just running.
3: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's I mean it's automatic and I I've tried breathing. I've tried just sitting th- through it. It's it's weird because it only it doesn't happen to me at restaurants and it doesn't happen when there's white noise. Mm-hmm. So to me, I feel like it's not out of control. It's only when we're silent
2: mm-hmm.
3: when the chewing is louder than any background noise. Right. So but anyway, yeah, it's it's automatic and my first reaction is rage. But at the same time, I'm arguing with myself, saying I know this is crazy. Because right. he's a very
2: good Clean <laughs> eater. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the first
2: thing you have to do, you, you, we have to be really language is powerful. Language has vibration, right? Language has an essence to it. So as soon as you say to yourself, this is crazy, why am I doing this? That's a negative thought, and that's not gonna help. That's gonna right. add to the program, right? So that's why it's so it's so important to just gently kind of go, oh, interesting. Here's here it's running again. It's running in this very specific circumstance when there's no background noise. So, and you could either, I mean, if you've got it figured out, then you don't want to change it. Then just live with it like this. It's like you've got it worked out. You've got a plan, right? But if it is something that you'd like to claim a little territory back from, I would do a lot of that work in your head first. Like yeah. imagine that there's, it's silent. It is do. absolutely quiet, and all you can hear is the chewing. And then you're gently, slowly, kind of building up a cognitive. Um, score ground where you kind of are, are getting somewhere with it. And then you're coupling that with some really pleasant memories with something else and, 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 and be prepared. Like if you actually have a win, it's your anxiety is going to grab it back from you. But if you're ready for it, you're like, Oh, okay. I knew that was going to happen. So that's fine. So for a couple of days, I don't do it again. And now I try again and I go back to where I just was before. And then I see if I can get past where I just won. Right. And you just kind of play around with it.
1: And this noting, this, this noting, like everybody, we talk about this a lot, but people need mantras in their lives, like mm-hmm. daily mantras, not affirmation so much, but mantras, like just catching yourself with what you're doing. Oh, program, thinking, safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you need these, these kind of things because again, you're dealing with the limbic brain, which is, which is a certain way, you know, and it okay. only understands these kind of things. Program, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, program. Um, well. But anyway, I'm, I'm just Well, and that's,
2: just. that's why with the frontal lobe, if you can, if you can get to a point where you can actually make a sentence through it, then you can actually literally either out loud or in your head say, this is not actually an emergency. This is not going to kill me. This is not dangerous. Right? And then you can kind of activate the frontal lobe. And it, it's literally rewiring. You ha- people, who, And I want people who are listening, like it doesn't matter what it is. This is very specific. But anxiety is like this around Anything. Anything. This is how anxiety works. This is how it rolls, right? It's this, it's this entity that if you keep feeding it, it'll just take over. And then we think, oh, I'm a slave to my anxiety. I'm a victim of my anxiety. But you actually can with, with um, if you got patience, you can rewire your brain and retrain it so that it doesn't do this anymore. And it, but it takes time, right? And you have to be patient. And, and also it has to be interfering with your life. If it's not interfering with your life, then spend your energy doing something else. Don't, don't worry about it. I was just going to
3: ask, do, do these techniques work with all forms of anxiety? Like any, I mean, from social anxiety to hypochondria to, all, you know, all of it. Or do, is it just
2: the same type of practice you use to rewire your brain? Very similar. What Procrastination, people don't realize, is yeah. anxiety. It works with any kind of anxiety. And the, it starts with understanding that it's basically the, the primal survival program that's taken over and it's running the show. It's literally like a child that's just running around going, ah, I'm gonna do what I want, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it's, in your case, it's one very specific part of your brain that is just running away doing whatever it wants and learned that there's no parent, right? The frontal lobe is actually your own parent. <laughs> You're the parent. I'm the parent of myself with my frontal lobe. And it's constantly inhibiting, organizing, prioritizing, and taking perspective. And in this one little area, You have a bit of a runaway brain, right? And so it takes time to rewire that, but it's just a program. It's literally just a program, and it's a
3: practice, a daily. We were we're talking about because when I quit drinking, it was a daily practice to rewire that part of conditioning. So,
1: I think just the thinking, just the aware again, back to awareness, just the fact that. There might be an awareness for a second. And it's really a momentary pause. It's not saying you're going to change. I think, I think the thing is certainly with me, any technique that I learn, I have to be perfect at right away. That's what my brain tells me. It's like I have to learn. It's the intention behind it. Just the fact that you're saying to yourself, I'm going to note when I feel what I feel. I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to note it maybe once during this day. It, it's, it's money in the bank. It's like it's going to change your life just being aware of it. It's going to have a, an impact in what you do. Now, just to let you know, my family calls me Chewbacca because I am the world's loudest chewer. No one. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not messy, but I literally can't hear it. I said, well, my mouth is closed. How is it possible? They said, well, you have a speaker system in your mouth. You have, you have a loud speaker system, and right now you're like the Pink Floyd of chewing. That's what you do right now. So I, I don't understand it, but I, I respect it, and I like I try to do it. But I'm just saying I thought that you could desensitize yourself. So I made a loud chewing tape, um, which, which was – I did it with my father once because he was very loud, and uh, it did not work. Um, but what I am telling you is you can horrify your family if you get into this, really, <laughs> the kinds of things that I'm doing because I'm called Chewbacca uh, and there's no, there's no force here. The force is not with me. Um, but, but anyway, I just want to say, you're listening to the mental, to mental health comedy with, uh, Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick and our guests, Amber Tozer and Tim Arthur all the way from London. And, and I want to say that we are not a. Uh, I mean, Jennifer is, is more Dr. Lee, much more so than I am. But if you have serious mental health issues and you need help, please call any one of a number of hotlines. NAMI is a great organization here, the the National Organization of Mental Illness. I wish they would call it something different, but their number is 800-956-6264. You can also um, call the suicide hotline, which is is 1-800-273-8255. And one of the greatest organizations I love, which is right here in LA called Why We Rise. and that is an arts community that focuses on mental health. It is an amazing community. They have events all the time and they work with people. It's more art and expressive therapies, but it's raising consciousness about mental health. Why we L.A. I think we're going to have to say so long for now, um, but I really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, sharing this and, and, and really <laughs> and just joining us for this. We're going to do it again, for sure. Really. Thanks guys. And, and please, uh, come again. And, uh, and hopefully thanks for
3: will, having yeah. us. Thank you. Sorry. Well, my. Uh, thank you so much.
0: Ed. Um, Ed, am I allowed to recommend a book? Is that possible?
1: Will you please, and please recommend anything that you guys are doing that we need to watch for. Will you please do that?
0: A book that was, has been really, inf- I suffer from anxiety quite a lot. And it's been, and I need. I was just listening to Jennifer talking. I went, actually, I've got to go back and reread it because it was really useful to me. There's a book by an English author called uh, The Chimp Paradox. And it's all mm-hmm. about the, it's all about the limbic system and how, mm-hmm. and he describes it as this chimp inside you. And he sort of says, it's so strong that if you try and fight it, it will always beat you. If it's just like a, if you just do a straight fight against it, it's far stronger than you, it's more primitive than you, it'll fight dirty, and it, the whole book is is describing yep. exactly what Jennifer's talking about, which is that process really? of how you create new neural pathways through subtly trying to, I think he calls it, putting it back in its, in its box, mm-hmm. sort of how you sort of gently do that over time, but it's just, for, even just to sort of, uh, as an understanding of myself and my own anxiety and where it came from, it was, oh, Professor Stephen Peters, that's his name, and Great. it was, powerful for me and there's also a version for children as well he's written there um um a paradox book for kids as well which is brilliant for kids with um anxiety so i just i just thank you for sharing that that's great we'll definitely
1: definitely look that up tim thank you and uh and 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 if you haven't seen it yet if you haven't read it yet i cannot recommend highly enough amber's book called sober stick figure it is it's hysterically funny, very poignant, very real. One of the things I love about Amber is her writing is great because she has an inability to lie. And that is really hard to do. She happens to have it. So I would suggest that you, you take a look I'll at that. Well, except, except when she's with Tim. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I, I, would also, I would also invite you to, to go to connectedparenting.com because there are so many classes, skills, ways to practice the things that Jennifer's talking about. And that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about her connectedparenting.com. And if you're a parent raising a teen, you might want to read the book, You're Ruining My Life, which was written by Jennifer, which tells you, you know, it's such a great title. Um, that's it for mental health comedy for this week. Back next week with a completely new show and completely old emotions. Um, I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari we'll see you next time